See, everybody plays like there is an infinite amount of opportunity and there isn't. Hmm. You can't be in two places at the same time. You can't, you know, type six different sets of keystrokes in the same moment. You cannot post 442 things on any given day. Like there is capacity in everybody's world. And if there is right. capacity, that means there is choice to say, how do you look to be able to fill that capacity? The best place to be able to start through my experience has been. You are now entering a new paradigm. So here is my issue. I wanted to find the answers to life's biggest questions. Things like, how do I become happy and live with purpose? How do I make more money doing what I love? And what does it mean to be truly successful in all areas of life? My name is Josh Forty, at Josh Forty on Instagram, and I ask life's biggest questions and share the answers with you. My goal is to help you find purpose, happiness, and open your mind to new realms of possibility by helping you think differently about everything you do, know, and understand. On this podcast, we think different, we dream bigger, and we live in a world without limits. This is a new paradigm. Welcome to the Think Different Theory. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Think Different Theory. My name is Josh Forty, and today we have the one and only Mr. Phil Jones on with us. He's an author, and he actually... He's, he's written one of my favorite books on sales, Exactly What to Say. I love it. Um, but Phil, welcome to Think Different Theory. How many books have you written Great now? to be here. Um, seven, I think, is, is my total count. Um, maybe 7.7. 7. Mm. I think I've got one in there that I'm not sure is a full book. But um, yeah, we've published a number of pieces of work through the years. Nice. That's awesome, man. And, and how long have you been writing? Um, first published book was 2011. 2011. So, we're looking at bordering on a decade. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. I see that uh, I see that you're in your cabin, it looks like. Give us a little context around that. Uh, well, guys, and, and before we dive into that here, um, I, we hop on and he's like, yeah, I'm in my cabin over here. And wh where'd you say you were at? I'm in Buckinghamshire in Marlow in England, uh, about 30 minutes outside London. Uh, so are you from there? Is that, that where you grew up or what's the, your connection I, there? I grew up not far from here. Uh, traveled a fair amount around the United Kingdom with different steps within my career, but now have a home just outside Manhattan in, in Hoboken in, in New Jersey as well. So uh, spend time between the two. So you just decided that, you know, maybe New York City wasn't the greatest place to be hanging out right now? Yeah, you might see that I'm I'm a reasonably practical kind of guy and, and tend to try and make my own luck best I possibly can. And when we see this craziness kicking in, I thought, where do I want to be stuck for a period of time? And I thought rolling hills, beautiful countryside and plenty of space without people around would outrank me being in the in the density of the New York metro area. Yeah, the, the epicenter of uh, all of the coronavirus in the United States. Are you, so where is your, like what country are you from as far as like, I'm I'm from America, right? Like are, where are you a citizen? Yeah, I'm British. British? I'm okay. British, um, okay. but I am a UK citizen and I'm a US resident. Okay, so, so you, you have the te ability. Technically I, um, I, I live in the US. And this is my vacation home back here in the UK. Nice. And that, how long have you been in the US? Uh, around six years, I think. My wife is American. Oh, okay. Um, we met in Los Angeles back in 2014. Um, and yeah, I've been spending a great deal of time. My business is, is probably 75, 80% North America. Um, next to nothing here back in the UK. 
um and then the rest of it is is rest of the world stuff nice nice all right so i think that leads us to the question of what is it that you do but now for some context here guys um i actually got introduced to you phil through do you know who emmy is I do. Okay, yeah, Emmy's awesome. He he's the one that introduced me to your, you slash your guys' team, um, and he's like, dude, you absolutely have to meet this guy. He's brilliant. I'm like, sweet. What's his name? He goes, Phil Jones. I'm like, like the Phil Jones that wrote exactly what to say. He's like, yeah, and all these other books. I was like, sweet. So um, for the listeners that have never heard of you though before, um, tell us, give give us the the quick cliff notes of your backstory and what you do and why you're famous. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm still not sure if I'm famous, but yeah, I, I've been in business for like ever. Started with my first business when I was 14 years of age. How, how old are um, you now? I am now 38. 38. You did not look 38. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now we try and work hard and eat well and look good, take good care of self too. So um, yeah, so started when I was 14, been building businesses throughout my teens. Um, at the age of 18, became the youngest ever sales manager for a big department store group in the UK went from there to become um, head of sales in a big furniture retail business and wrote the majority of their sales training programs in my early 20s, leading teams of people who were significantly older than me. Went from there to become head of retail, commercial director of two Premier League soccer clubs, then built a property business with a business partner of mine that turned over around 240 million pounds at its peak on a sales team of five. That takes us through till about 2008. 2008, the world got a little tricky we, um, we had a fairly significant economic downturn. We had a product that was great on a Monday that we couldn't give away by a Friday. That's how quickly it changed for us. Yeah. So I bought that business down and I started this business by accident really in that I um, was invited in by a lot of chambers and commerce, small business networking groups, et cetera, to say, hey, Phil, how do we trade out of recessionary times? And could you deliver a 20 minute presentation, 40 minute presentation, 60 minute presentation? out of that. Uh, and I started doing it while I was figuring out what I wanted to do next. And those speeches became invitations to say, could you then run workshops and do more from this? And while I was figuring out what I wanted to do, I, I, I started consulting and I started to be able to run workshops and I inadvertently built a sales training company. Then I wrote my first book. Um, then I kept getting invited by bigger brands to go deliver speeches. I've now delivered over 2,500 professional presentations in 57 different countries across five different continents, written seven books. So that journey's played out from there. Um, I own the publishing rights for most of my works too. So I run those as independent businesses. In addition to that, I own a, a digital marketing agency that supports the healthcare industry um, that we built from scratch that is a multi-million dollar turnover business supporting the small business communities. And I sit as an advisor and, and, and professional almost um, chief revenue officer, I guess, in um, from afar as like a non-exec director to a number of uh, medium-sized companies. And you're not famous? No. Not, not, not well known yet? Is that, is that a goal of yours to become famous? Not really. Um, I, I see a lot of people that are, that are chasing fame. Um, I love the fact that some of my books are famous and people have no idea who I am. I, I really mm. enjoy that. Um, I like the uh, revenue that we've generated through much of my success and then what that allows us to be able to do in our life. I like the moments of fame that happen when I crush it on stage to an audience of 300, 3,000 people, etc. I get to enjoy those moments with working with people. But I also massively enjoy the fact that I can show up anywhere I want in the world and nobody has a clue who I am. Yeah. I love that. Hmm. And I, I'd rather keep it that way too, because my feeling is 
is with fame is, is there's a curve that's attached to it, right? Yeah. Where what then happens is, is your identity is attached to that fame. I worked in professional soccer for a while and I got the ability to be able to see um, what would happen to pro players where they would be like the big deal for a season. And then they would play like they're the big deal for a season. And then the following year they're off form and their career would come over and their whole identity was attached to being this, this heroine. Um, and I didn't like it. Felt bad for them. I felt sorry for them. I felt that if they attached their identity to being famous, the second they become less than famous or famous for now being the person who used to be good at something, then their relevance is lost and their identity is lost too. So I, I quite like producing evergreen things um, and things that can perhaps live on past me, but I certainly don't need the fame for myself. So, I mean, I want to talk about your accomplishments and kind of how you became so smart and yada, yada. But before I, before we dive into that, like, I want to kind of look at how did, how did you figure that out in the sense of how did you keep a level head through everything with everything that you've done? Like, what was it, was it your parents that taught you? Was it, who, who was it? Was there a mentor in your life or did you just know? Because like you let you just read off a crazy list of accomplishments that if you were to you know the average person were to read that they'd be like holy cow this guy has done some stuff in his life right but yet you're super laid back super chill i mean at least from what i can tell very level-headed not chasing the fame i'm sure you have your thing that you are after or chasing but for the most part you seem very level-headed and not caught up in it all how did that come about and how did you realize that that was important I think there's a few things to it. it is one is I had the both gift and the curse of being very driven and very talented from a very young age, which means I achieved a lot more than most of my peer group within that time period. I also lost everything at that kind of 2007, 2008, 2009 window where I was really faced with a significant amount of adversity. And, and, and it's quite humbling when you get to a point in your life where you're, where you're trying to continue to win, but at the same time, you don't have enough money in your bank account to put gas in your car. And you know that when you're going to be able to fill up the tank and you're gonna to get to the checkout, that you're gonna do the dance by, oh, the card declined, how did that happen? And, and, and you learn that actually there's a form you can fill in and then you get 14 days free credit from the gas station to be able to go back with the tail between your legs and apologize profusely. And when you learn that those things actually happen, you remember to take nothing for granted. Hmm. So no matter where you're at right now, then that, that, that can change over a period of time. The other thing is, is and this, this answer only hit me later in life is when I got the answer at the time, I didn't understand it. And now I understand it with great clarity is I remember asking my dad about his goals in life. And when I asked my dad about his goals in life, and I might've been like 13, 14, 15 at the time. Yeah. He said his ultimate goal in life was to be content. Hmm. And I thought that's stupid. That's like <laughs> stupid and now I look at it and I'm like, that was so cool. Like just to be able to say, I'm good with what I've got and I'm working on better, but I'm good with what I've got. And, and, and I like living that way around. So I guess that thinking is a key part of it. I also think that what I've learned is, you know, like New York is brilliant for this. Like me living in New York City and, and, and coming from very humble backgrounds, New York is brilliant at proving to you that whatever you are, you're nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right. You only have to like look around for a second. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, you think you're doing great. No, you're not. 
right? Like there's just another example of there being another league and another level. And I thought, well, actually, if I get myself attached in chasing that game, I'm going to live my whole life feeling like a loser. Yeah. Hmm. Because I'm just going to set a benchmark that I, that I can never get on top of. Instead, I've seen examples of people do brilliant work um, and do it in the shadows and still allow themselves the ability to be able to step out of character. Hmm. They can still just be dad or just be husband or they can still be goofy around the swimming pool. And, you know, they don't have to spend their whole life in character. And that ends up being more aspirational to me than somebody who needs to chase the next goal, the next goal, the next goal, the next goal. How, okay, so how do you define success then? Like, what are you after now? Right now, um, the honest answer to that question is I'm not too sure hmm. is, is the very honest answer. In a, profession, a professional capacity, I've outperformed almost every expectation I had for myself as a child. Right. Already outperformed all of those. And for which I am remarkably proud of myself and I'm happy with what those achievements are. I think where I'm at right now, and, and some of this was where I was at anyway, and some of it is circumstantial. You know, we're recording this right now and we are, you know what, mid-April 2020. We're in the middle of a chunk of uncertainty. And I'm looking for the gift in that crisis. I'm looking at yeah. saying, okay, my calendar for the, for the rest of the year was ramped up high-profile speaking gigs, I was in a situation where I was going to be the lead name on a, on a big road show with a giant brand. Um, I was busy and, and I had a lot of revenue attached towards that as well. And that's just all disappeared. Right. And I'm okay with that because now I'm here. Now I get to spend every night in my bed and hang out with my wife and, and I get to be able to look at other areas of my businesses that I can start to say, hang on, maybe I wasn't showing up for those areas of my life as well as I could have done because I, I, I was involved in chasing other stuff. Yeah. So I, I guess what my goal is right now is to figure out what my goal is. Hmm. And I'm just allowing some space to be able to hang around on that and go, I'm okay not knowing. I'm also very content in the fact that a boatload of work that I've done in the past is still covering us up right now. So yeah. book royalties, retain client arrangements, savings, you know, some investments, et cetera, means that we're not worried about paying this month's bills or right. next month's bills or the month after that's bills. <laughs> right. And I'm not leveraged up. We're pretty lean through our companies. My team is safe. My family is safe. I'm going, okay, what do I want my next decade to look like? Mm. And that doesn't mean what do I want to do or what my goal is. It's, it's what do I want my days to look like? What do I want to do in the morning? Where do I want to spend my time? Who do I want to be around on my birthday? Yeah. What do I want the holiday season to look like? Who are the people that have existed in my life, but I have, you know, I've always said that we should hang out more. We should spend more time together. And I've never followed through on that. What can I do to build a life by design that says, okay, this crazy chaos has thrown itself up. What can I do with 2020 to 2030 in the next decade that I will be remarkably proud of? I'm proud of the last decade. I'm looking at this and saying, can it be a line that says, okay, so what next, Phil? I think that that's really important too. And I love what you alluded to here of like being okay with not knowing what's next and taking time. Um, I have a coach and she, she talks about creating stillness a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And just 
getting out of the absolute craziness of the noise of the media and the world and the social media, you know, everything else like that. I, my background, and I'm, I mean, I'm 26, but my background for the past four years has been social media, right? So I've grown and managed millions of followers on social and it's a bit, you know, my chaos is addicted to the dopamine hit of checking notifications and see how many yeah. followers we're getting for clients, right? Or, or revenue being added to the bottom line. And when you take that step back and you just go, Hey, go get some perspective, go, go, go take some time to be out of the noise, give your brain a break and you're going to find clarity. Um, that I, I think that has probably been one of the most powerful things for me, but why do you think that's so hard for so many people to do? Like, because it's something we hear a lot, right? It's one of those things. It's like, Hey, have a balanced life. Hey, you know, know what, know what your goals are. Make sure that you are going to be proud of yourself in 10 years, but you know, blah, blah, blah. But, but yet, so few people actually take the time to do what you're doing or, you know, go through that phase of stillness and be like, hmm, what do I want my next decade to look like? Why do you think that is? I, I, I think the why is different for different people. But I think some of the things that are recurring in the majority of people is they want what they want too quickly. They're not prepared to be patient. They're not prepared to go the distance. They're not to go through the messy middle. They're not going to go through the pain. They're not going to go through the rejection. They're not going to go through the friction. They're just, just not going to do the work. So it's easier to fall back to type, which that type could be complaining about their boss. It's easier to complain about their boss than to do the work to be able to get the boss's job. Right. It could be that it's easier to... To, to say, well, I'm going to stick my head into social media, checking notifications and likes and finding some metrics that have been created by somebody else to better measure my success than to search amongst myself to say what truly makes me happy. Yeah. It's easier to be able to say, well, um, you know, it's somebody else's fault why I'm not achieving this and pass the blame on to somebody else and to move it from there than it is to be able to truly do the work. And these are all choices. And those choices, I think, are okay there are two types of people in this world through my lens and there are, there are leaders and there are followers. Mm. There's two, you know, that's it. And one could argue that many leaders are actually followers. You know, what they are is they are in leadership positions yeah. following a predetermined mission that some other leader created. Right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, this is all stuff that you play with in your mind a great deal. Um, all I've learned is that, that, you know, a life by design is work. It's a ton of work. Yeah. And what you need is you need clarity over who you're actually in service of. Not what do you do? Who are you in service of? Hmm. I find it very interesting right now when I look at the speaker community, right? Because many people have attached their identity to being a keynote speaker or a motivational speaker, etc. And the world we're currently in is that speaking at live hmm. events is... It is definitely not a now thing, yeah. not a foreseeable future thing. So there's a lot of people who are very lost. Yeah. For me, it's easy for the, to, to, to show up and just keep doing the work I've always done because although I've spoken a lot and I speak a lot, I've never seen myself as a speaker. Mm. I'm in service of the business community, helping them navigate change. And I've done that from a stage for over a decade. Just mm. because the stage has been changed doesn't mean that I'm changing what I'm in service of. Yeah. And I think that's what more people can look at is to say, okay, 
who are your people? What are you for? What are you in service of? And then everything that needs to change around that is just innovation and evolution. But what are you in service of? And I think this is where I'm at right now is to say, is it okay to change who I'm in service of? Hmm. Is there a new group of people that I want to see if I can add value to, even if that group of people is nothing more than my family and my friends? Yeah. That's such an interesting concept too, because I feel like when it comes to success, right? And, and who it is that we're serving or trying to impress or the followers that we're trying to get to or whatever, it's kind of this, this vague thing, right? It's just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the people, the followers, the fans, like, okay, but like who, right? Like who really is that? Right. And, and when you take a step back and go, okay, I mean, you, you get one life and let's say you get 90 years, you know, here, here in the world, you've got to basically be able to look back on your deathbed or look back at the end of your life and go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of my life. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but if you're letting, if you're letting this imaginary fan base determine whether or not like in the moment, your whole life determine whether or not you're being successful and then you get to the end of it and now they're not there anymore because all of a sudden you're irrelevant because coronavirus comes in and wipes out your, your stage, yep. right? Or Instagram right. goes and such shuts down your platform, you know, or, you know, whatever happens. Now you get to the end of your life and it's almost like, like what, what, ha like what did I do all that for? You know what I mean? Like, and, and there's this real big sense of feeling like lost and I'm sure that's, well, I'm, I firmly believe social media is a large reason of depression. But when you say like, know who you're serving, how do you find that? Because I think, I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. They don't know who they want to serve. So like right. what, what questions, I don't know if I'm, I'm not saying you have a formula per se, but like, what, what are the questions that you're asking yourself when you're like, ah, who do I want to serve in this next decade for you right now? What, what type of questions have you asked? What questions are you asking? Well, I think sometimes you start to look back and say, well, through deductions, who are you not for? Hmm. You know, I've even been playing through things coming into this is if I'm going to deliver 50 keynotes a year, what are the companies, industries, geographic locations, um, types of business, types of leaders that I would not want to show up for? See, everybody plays like there is an infinite amount of opportunity and there isn't. Hmm. You can't be in two places at the same time. You can't, you know, type six different sets of keystrokes in the same moment. You cannot post 442 things on any given day. Like there is capacity in everybody's world. And if there is right. capacity, that means there is choice to say, how do you look to be able to fill that capacity? Whether we're talking about hours in a day, events that you work with, clients that you serve, friends that you have, followers that you, you know, you truly follow and comment and engage with, gurus that you follow, mentors that you appreciate, voices that you let speak into your world, right? We all have capacity. The best place to be able to start through my experience has been like, who are you not for? Mm. Let's all of a sudden decide like, like what's wrong? What's something that is not right? The minute you start to be able to take some of that stuff away, things start to get a little bit clearer. Another fun thing to be able to do, and, and, and I've chatted this through, and a good friend of mine has modeled this remarkably well, a guy called Clay Hebert, um, models a thing called your perfect calendar and says, okay, well, why don't you just put some work in to say, like, if you had a hypothetical perfect week, month, or year, what would it look like? What time would you get up? What would you do in the morning? What would you do next? Like, what are the non-negotiables that need to happen for you to be living your version of a decent life? And now what you're starting to see is boundaries. As these boundaries start to appear, you mm. then get the ability to be able to start to make choices, right? You get thrown in the Cheesecake Factory menu, like there is a plethora of choice on that menu, but very quickly you start to go, which parts are for me? Right. Life is like the Cheesecake 
factory menu. There is too many choices. If you're brave enough to be able to look at the menu, you can start to be able to make the ones that are for you. And I think many people just let decisions happen to them mm. as opposed to decide who they're for. And I know you do a lot of work with, um, with like inside sales and that you've had conversations towards sales teams, et cetera. I often invite people that when they're looking for more business is their starting point to think about who their missing people are. Yeah. Because if you lost a child or you lost a loved one and that you needed to try and help find them, you'd describe them picture perfect and you'd know with absolute clarity what you were looking to find because they would be your missing people. Mm, yes. Same is true with the customers that you want to hang out with more. Same is true with the missing people that exist in your team. If you're missing a mentor in your life, then you could probably do the work to define all the attributes to create a job description as to what that mentor would need to bring. Same if you're looking for more cheerleaders in your life. You could start to build a job description to say, I've got those missing people. Yeah. What I've learned through my experience is like 25 of the best people around you is way more rewarding than, you know, 10,000 followers. Yeah. 10,000 followers can be a curse. 25 great people could be a crutch. Like it's not a quantity thing. It just depends what they are for. Yeah. And I think this is what we should define the groups of people in our lives well with. This, this to me is, is an important lesson that we can all look at is give job descriptions, roles and responsibilities to everybody who shows up in your life. Yeah, I think that's super important. So m one of my coach, well, actually my main coach, her name is Katie and um, all, all she does, she, she works with my mind, right? Works with my mindset, works with my mindset. That's her entire job. And uh, mm -hmm. ever, we meet every single week and we talk about creating this, this life, right? Creating, your, I don't wanna say your dream life, but essentially that's what it is. Like what, what is, what does your dream life look like, right? Who do you yep. wanna work with? Who do you wanna serve? What's the environment? And shaping, shaping the world from that perspective and really bringing things into fruition that way. And when I, when I had this massive shift, because I used to chase followers, right? Like that was my big crutch. Grow, I mean, small town, farm boy, right? It was where I grew up in. And then all of a sudden I was making $25,000 a year. And then I realized that on Instagram, if I got some followers, I could make $25,000, you know, a month or $25,000 a week, right? Or 20, you know, and so I was like, followers, followers, go, 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 go. And then when I had this shift, I mean, I had two major, major life moments, so a, a crash mentally, and then my brother passing away, yeah. a helicopter crash. So we get to this point and it's like, okay, you've got to decide the life that you want to create. But in order to do that, you've got to stop listening to the inputs of everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. And when you take it and you, when you stop listening to these inputs of everybody else, that's going to bring you some sense of clarity because like you said, eliminate, eliminate, eliminate to go, what do I want? But one of the things that you said back earlier that I want to kind of loop back to and have you clarify is you're like, okay, people, even if they do know what they want, they're not willing to do the work, right? They, yep. want, they, want, they, want, they want what it is that they want too fast. Well, let me ask you, I mean, Dude, you killed it. You had a lot of success real young, real fast. And I'm sure that you did the work for that. But couldn't someone look at you and go, well, that's easy for you to say, right? It's easy for you to say that, you know, people want it too fast because you got yours really, really fast. And you can say, oh, yeah, that was misery or whatever. So, like, what would you say to that person that's like, well, yeah, that's easy for you to say? Good question. Um, I didn't do it fast. I just started young. Okay. There's the first thing. And I shared my quick potted history of what I did. And yeah, I had a great business, 14, 15 years of age, was making more money than my school teachers by 15, 16. 
I also had three, four failed businesses through that same time period up until the age of 18. When I was in that leadership position in that first retail role, I faced rejection after rejection after rejection, faced a lot of discrimination, but I was also brave enough to be able to keep trying and keep coming back after each of those knockbacks. Mm. What I was brave enough to be able to do is I, I would do all the stuff that nobody else would. So the reason I got through promotions and gained experience real quick through 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, is I made myself nationally mobile to my employer. I said, if there is an opening anywhere in the country, I will consider it. I won't view geographic constraints as an issue. I will go where it needs to be done. And if you've got a question of something that needs to be delivered, that is a stretch for me, the answer is yes, regardless of the question. I got real brave. I kept throwing myself in off the deep end. Hmm. I also did all the work outside of the work, which is again, the stuff that people miss. Anytime I've ever met anybody who's better at anything than me, I've never said, wow. Instead, I've asked how. Mm. How do they do what they do? And I've done the work to be able to learn from people who are ahead of me in the race. I've sat them down. I've taken them for dinner. I've got into work early. I've observed. I've done all of the little things that say, how do I fast track my experience through borrowing the experience from other people? And most people that are successful are very happy to be able to give their experience, providing you do it at a time that works for them. So that might mean that I wanted to learn from the CEO of my company that I had no time to get a meeting with, but he went running at 6 a.m. in the morning. So I said, I know that you're too busy for a meeting, but if I come run with you at 6 a.m., is there any chance I can pick your brain on some things? I was doing that at 19 and 20 without mm. the permission to be able to get into those meetings, to be able to find a way to be able to actually get me the insights and the transparency that I needed. Time and time again, I've also given myself the ability to reinvent. Hmm. never be put in a box and also then to be able to refine. So let's take, for example, my book, exactly what to say that you've mentioned there. It is approaching a million copies sold translated into 29 different languages. Didn't start there. I didn't write a book that's made more than a million dollars in revenue. I delivered a training workshop in 2010 to a group of um, telephone um, specialists that knew me as um, a sales trainer and my client wanted me to deliver sales training for their front desk staff to better help them with language. So instead of presenting it as a sales training course, I presented it as a communications course. And my takeaway at the end of that training was a two page PDF called magic words. That was 17 words to influence, persuade and encourage people to take action. Two page PDF. Two days after that, I was at a mastermind group with a group of other speakers that said how hard it was to publish a book. And I'm like, it's easy. I've done the work. I understand what's involved with the platforms. And we're talking now like 2010. And I'd done the work about self-publishing platforms. I knew all about KDP. I understood what was happening with CreateSpace and Lulu and all right. the tools at the time that were like revolutionary brand new. Right, right. And I got myself into trouble with my big mouth. What did I say? I said, look, if my life depended on it, I could get a book published in seven days. Oh boy. So what I did is I turned my two page PDF into like a 64 page book just by fleshing it all out. Seven days later, I've got a book called magic words. I ran magic words as a promotion. It was a download free giveaway that was happening at the time in my um, like web presence, etc. We did some KDP push promotions and I, it wasn't my best work. But we did like over 200,000 copies of this into circulation. Wow. People loved it, but it was a pamphlet. It wasn't a book. And I knew that's what it was. But what kept on happening is people would like it as takeaways from trainings, etc. 
when I went through my geographic move formally of coming from the UK to the US, I wanted something that I could then lean on as a platform. I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a brand new book. Then when I was thinking I'm going to do a brand new book, I'm like, why would I do a brand new book? I already know something that works remarkably well within my ecosystem. I've done the work on time and time again. It's been the biggest takeaway from many of the speeches I've delivered through the years. People love to know the word stuff. Why don't I just write the book the way it was supposed to be written? Mm. And that was exactly what to say. So people say, how did you produce such a small book that did so well? There's like 10 years worth of work in that book. Interesting. And what often happens is people see overnight success or they see something and they judge it through this lens of going, that was easy for them. Yeah. I've never met anybody who crushed it with anything that when you dig into the story, you come away with the answer of like, that was easy for them. When you dig into the story, yeah, yeah. you find the truth. Yeah. When you find the truth, you find the lessons. When you get the lessons, you go, ah, am I prepared to do that? Right. Am I prepared to be able to take all those steps along the way? Am I prepared to be able to back myself with that? And this is what people aren't prepared to do. They're not prepared to back themselves. They need somebody else to be able to back them. Yeah. And that's the thing that doesn't happen. That's why people don't get the promotions is because they're waiting for their boss or somebody else in leadership to say that you're ready. Yeah. Like I didn't have a major publisher that said, here's a giant advance to be able to produce this book. <laughs> I decided that I was going to be brave and put my neck on the line, put some of my own money into it and lean forward and say, I think this is what the market needs. Who, and these are the things that people aren't prepared to do. And I a hundred percent agree with that. People don't want to take risks. People want to, everything to be handed to them. Who's your market? Like who do you primarily serve in the sense of your, your clientele, your followers? I mean, uh, uh, you with, say you, you what, say you're with what part of my business your direct to consumer part of your business the short answer to that is i don't um i create targeting messages for different groups of people at different times my primary social media marketing strategy is to work with other people's audiences work with other people okay so so let me rephrase that who is who is the type of person that you work with most? I've worked with over 800 different industries. And in the last six months, those industries have spanned as far for as 15-year-old student leaders through to a room of CEOs of some of the largest com companies in the world, through to small independent hearing care providers within the United States of America, through to insurance brokers in Peru, through to um, the local independent business community here in Marlow in Buckinghamshire that are looking to try and navigate what to do with COVID. Okay, so, um, let, let, so, so it's all over the page. So, so what are, I, here's the question I'm getting at. I, I wanna know what, what similarities have you seen of, of people? Like, I'm just gonna kind of leave this broad. I mean, we're talking about success, right? But like, but it when it comes to people achieving success or not being able to achieve success or, or life problems, um, what, are, what are like common things that you're just like, man, I see this everywhere I go. Like if people would just fix this problem, right? If people would, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the, the, the magic pill or the magic you know, the cure yeah. to success, but just the, the, the underlying thing, like is it everybody complains and if you would just quit complaining, right? Or if you just do the work or if you would just change your perspective here, like, is there, is there a couple of things that you've seen that are just like, man, universally across the board, everybody struggles with this thing? Well, there's probably a few things to be able to dive into here. 
the biggest reason that I've seen in every industry why people fail to find the success that I know they're capable of is because they just don't ask for it. Hmm. Whether that's not asking people to follow you, whether that's not asking people to be able to buy from you, whether that's not asking your employer to be able to give you the opportunity of being able to take on more responsibility. People wish, wait, hope, and pray instead of asking. So asking is, is, is probably the universal skill that people need to work on more than anything, in my opinion. Hmm. When it comes to asking, though, there are then some ingredients that just don't show up often enough. And this is the work that I would encourage more people to be able to dig into. To be able to ask effectively, I think there are three things that, that, that really are necessary in every given set of circumstances. The first is curiosity. People should just be naturally more curious about life, like mm. the ability to actually be able to dig at things and say, yeah, but why? Yeah, but why? Yeah, but why? Yeah, but why? We were good at this as kids and we had it trained out of us the older that we get. We're really good at curiosity naturally as humans, but life leads us towards certainty. Yet actually curiosity is the only thing I'm certain of. It's like the All thing right. that we should, be, <laughs> should be digging at. Outside of curiosity, the, third, the second ingredient we need is, is empathy. And empathy gets talked about, but very, very seldom understood. The best definition I've heard for empathy is from a speaker friend of mine called John Acuff, who says empathy is to care about what the people you care about care about. Hmm. See, if you bring that thought process to every communication that you have, then what you do is you talk in their interests and not yours. Yeah, that's interesting. Huh, that's good. Third ingredient that shows up in every successful person is courage. And courage isn't necessarily, you know, I was so brave, I went to fight for my country. Right. Courage can show up in a variety of different ways. And I think sometimes courage is being vulnerable to not know, but try anyway. Courage is sometimes being able to say, well, like, like I'm just going to, just going to lean into this thing right now. Courage is sometimes breaking down in front of your team full of people in tears and being brave enough to show them that you're hurting too. Like courage can be a thousand different things, but it, it needs to show up in truth. Hmm. Bring those three agreements or those, those three ingredients to more of your conversations, then regardless of industry, you'll find more success. Hmm. What I've learned to be most interested in from working in the variety of countries that I've worked in and in the variety of different industries that I've worked in is the similarities outweigh the differences yet still everybody wants to say it's different. Here. Yeah. And I found differences that tend to be nuances rather than true differences. But what we're all in the business of doing is influencing people. Yeah. And people have largely the same motivating factors that influence them to be able to take action, regardless of what it is that they're doing. And you learn how to influence people typically through language, typically through asking for the things that you want in life. And if you ask with, courage, empathy, and, uh, and some curiosity, then you'll probably get your own way more often. Yeah. Interesting. Why do you think people are afraid to ask? Fear of rejection. Yeah. That, that's such an interesting concept because like, I go through, like, as I look back in my life, and I'm only 26, so, but as I look back in my life, I'm like, I can, I can see phases of my life where I was more confident and where I was less confident. And in the times where I was more confident, I asked for more things. But, like, but, like, not only that, like, I've, I've often found that, like, when I 
when I'm confident in something, not only am I asking for things like my, my entire body, my entire life, my actions like match what I'm asking for. And it's yeah. like, if you, if you're not, if your actions don't match what you're asking for, you're probably not going to get it. Right. Like, like you've got congruence is key. Yeah. Like you've got to actually be able to go through and, and be like, Hey, I need this. Here's why I need this. And the example that just pops in my head is if you were to go ask someone for a million dollars, well, the answer is probably going to be no. But if you were to go ask someone for a million dollars and you say, here's why you're investing in this company that has a massive amount of potential because my actions back up the fact that I need this million dollars, you're probably going to get your million dollars. The story needs to add up every yeah. single time. Take mm -hmm. the million dollar ask, right? If I asked everybody listening to this show right now, run out into your local neighborhoods and ask everybody for a hundred bucks, you'd be like, heck no, I'm not asking people for a hundred bucks. If I said there is a young child who is the other side of the state that is desperate for a heart transplant, and what we need to do is we need to raise a ton of money to be able to get this heart that we have here to the other side of the state to be able to get this kid done. What I'm hoping we can do is rally the troops to be able to contact as many people as possible, see if we can get $100 donations from as many people. Yup, we're trying to spread the word. Now everybody wants to do it. So it's, it's about getting the why right mm. first before the ask. That's the empathy piece. That's the piece of yeah. saying, well, actually, I need to deliver this ask with the benefit that is attached towards the other person. And if you, Without yeah. that, you're begging. Yeah, that's even think about it in its crudest of sense is, is a busker on the street that plays you a song, maybe earned your $5 that you left in his tip jar. Somebody holding their hand out for $5, you feel less motivated, less inclined to be able to part with your money, yeah. regardless of how freely you could give it. What we want is we want transactions to be fair. And if things feel fair, then we're happy to be able to move forward with it. Yeah. If things feel unjust, that's where we're then like, eh. and I think this is one of the reasons people don't ask is because in their mind, it feels unjust to yeah. because they haven't earned the position of being able to ask. Yeah. They want the thing, but they haven't put themselves into the position to be able to ask for the thing. Put quite simply is there's a lot of people who want to be settled down and with a partner and in a loving relationship. They want that thing. That is their dream. That is their goal. But they've been on no dates. <laughs> right? They're not putting themselves in, out in the world. Right, They're not right. prepared to be able to do the work of being able to experiment what it's like to be able to get closer to another person. Yet still, they want to be able to find the one. But they're not prepared to be able to go through the effort it takes yeah. to be able to find a compatible partner. Are you, are you a philosopher at all? Like, do you, do you philosophize? You strike me as a, someone that thinks about like where truth comes from and, and like, Oh man, you don't want to live inside my head. I think about a ton of stuff. Okay. So I, well, I want to go down this rabbit hole of that because this is something that, so quick context, give you some story behind it. Right. So you know what I'm asking for here. Um, I've always been someone that kind of like was I've been driven, motivated since I've been very, very young, right? My first business when I what, early teens, stuff like that. I grew up on a farm, but like, I never really thought about life as a grand scheme of things and what comes next and things like that. And then um, about a year ago or so, um, in March of last year, my brother, older brother, passed away in a helicopter crash. He, it, you know, it was a tragic thing, left behind a, a pregnant wife, a five-year-old son, and that wrecked my world, right? I mean, totally turned it mm -hmm. upside upside down on the head. And now I grew up religious. I grew up in a pretty strict Christian home, right? And um, I don't, I don't know if reject is the right word, but there was certainly a time in my life where I kind of like was like, yeah, not, not for me, right? For now, I'm gonna go yeah. kind of do my thing. But that obviously, death of your brother kind of brings everything full circle back around, and you start to really start thinking about like, okay, like 
purpose and meaning and, you know, purpose in life and where we're going next and everything like that. How do you, um, uh, let me ask you that. Are you religious at all? Not really. Not really. Okay. I, I guess I can be spiritual to a point. Um, and I, I grew up with, um, with the church being part of my life in some way. Um, and, but not deeply religious in any great way. Okay. So how do you, like, how do you determine what's right and wrong for you? And how do you determine like truth? What, what's truth is like, how do you, how do you determine those basis? Well, I, I guess right and wrong is interesting. If you look at any religious playbook, most of them agree that on the same versions of right and wrong, right. That like is, is, um, we learn value sets from our parents. We learn value sets from the environments that we find ourselves in. We learn value sets of right and wrong through consequences too. So uh, life is a pretty good judge that if you do more things wrong, then you repeat those wrongs. Then guess what happens is life stops giving you the opportunity to do more right. right? Mm. So like, that, that can show up a, a fair amount, certainly in my experience. Um, there's another great part that I think is a pivot answer on this too. Yeah, please do. And this was a really liberating realization or certainly thought process for me to land on for myself is nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> nobody, whether they're the, the CEO of Apple, whether it's mum and dad, whether it is the pre president of the United States of America, whether it is the school teacher in the class, everybody's making it up. And they're doing the best job that they can, given their motivations, their biases, mm. their pre-existing um, programming through life experience, etc. But there is no right. Mm. That was the belief that I landed on: is that there is no right way of doing things. Sure, there is wrong when it enters on the side of being uh, not fair to other people, right. where it ends up being, you know, deceitful, distrusting, causing pain, any of those kind of things, etc. But if we're looking for how do we find what right is, there isn't one. Let's try and make this super practical. Is if I asked a room full of people whether they wanted to do good at something, to do better at something, or do their best at something, what do you think almost everybody would pick? The best. They pick the best, which I've learned to be a stupid belief. Because the best suggests that there is a finite place that is 100%. Mm. that is all of it. There is a right way of being able to do it. Companies are focused on best practices. What best practices do, and this focus towards trying your best, suggests there's a ceiling that you're never going to get to, that you're always going to live underneath that ceiling, and that ceiling is actually going to suppress your potential. Think about a point in your life where you struggle to do something. My guess is that at some point in your life, you struggle to do something, and you proclaim to the people that saw you struggling, I'm trying my best. Yeah. <laughs> and all the time you said the words, I'm trying my best, it didn't help you progress. Right. The progression came when you shifted your focus from best to better. Mm. When you focus on better, what happens is you soon surpass the thing that you were labeling as best. Hmm. So actually, in all of the things that we're looking to do is to understand that nobody knows what they're doing and that what you have the right to better do is to show up to see if you can find a better way. And my life has been the relentless quest for better, whatever that might be. 
And that's why times like even right now, I find difficult because I'm struggling to know where to apply myself. Hmm. What, what, what should I be showing up for in this right now? What should we be working on to try and make better through this change? I'm a fixer. That's, yeah. that's what I like to do. And, and what's the stuff I need to be able to focus on? So I, I, I don't necessarily believe in gods and afterlifes and those things. Um, I don't not believe in them either. Right. Like I'm not like strongly opinionated in any given way. What I do believe in is that I'm going to do the best I can in the dash between the day I was born and the day that I leave the planet. I'm going to do the best I can to be able to contribute in that. And my focus is always going to be on how do we do this thing better mm. as opposed to taking somebody else's version of right and then judging myself by that version of right. That's super interesting. I've never heard anybody explain that analogy between the best and better that way. And I think that that's if, – if we always just – because because I, I do think that there is we will never reach our full potential right like there's always always room for growth right I, I'm sure you know who Tony Robbins is right if there's one Thank thing you. I learned from Tony then like just keep going keep going right keep expanding keep expanding and and like your potential is, is I don't know if limitless is the right word but it's certainly more than certainly we can comprehend in this lifetime so if we can continue to get better I think that uh I think that's an excellent, excellent point. So what, what drives you? And what I mean by that is like, one of the things I've been studying a lot recently during this whole coronavirus thing is I feel like I'm very blessed and as are you and as are a lot of people that have the ability to have finances and, you know, we're not worried about paying our bills and I, I get to work from my home or from my office, you know, like this. And so coronavirus, like whatever, I just go about my normal life. Right. But like, I know my purpose in life. I have a, this very deep, uh, deep seated root of like where I want to go and like what I want to do. And yes, that can change. But like, I feel like I have a very purpose driven life. A lot of people, though, I feel like that I have met or that are struggle with a lot of things. I know this is really, really big in America right now is like people don't feel like they have a purpose. And so um, I believe that everybody has a purpose. I, I am religious and, and I do believe in, in God, but I believe that that purpose comes from a higher power per se. But okay. like wh where where do you find your purpose or where do you recommend people look for, for, the, for those people that are struggling, that are out there that are like, I don't know what I want to do with my life, right? I don't know what I'm passionate about. Like, I don't know. I, I grew up my I, a farmer. Or I grew up in, in a big city and my dad was a welder and now I'm a welder or you know what I mean? Or my mom was a school teacher. I'm a school teacher. I'm a, like to that type of person that's out there. That's like they don't have this big underlying driving factor just burning with inside them like I do and like you did. Like, what would you say to them? Well, first, yeah, I didn't have a burning factor, right? Like my, my first business started at 14 years of age because I wanted to buy a pair of sneakers that my dad wouldn't give me the money for. And I stumbled across finding out a way of, of, of being able to make that money. It wasn't like a burning purpose. Um, this, this belief that you have to have this defined purpose, I, I believe creates an unnecessary amount of anxiety mm. in, in a huge quantity of people. And we're back to the point that we made at the start of today's conversation, which is, is this whole leaders or followers thing. We try and train people that everybody needs to think that they need to be a leader. And that isn't necessarily true. The world needs followers. The world needs people who are just going to show up and they're going to 
smile through their day and they're going to do as they're told and they're going to do it to the standard that, that is being asked of them and they're going to enjoy the ride, right? Like the world needs people that are going to do that. I think instead of trying to find your purpose, there's a better question to ask. And the question to ask is who are you for? Hmm. Who are you for? Who are you showing up for? Who are your people? Because the second that you get clarity on who you're for, your purposes start to show up with more clarity. You can decide categorically, I'm for my kids. That's it. I'm for my kids. So now what you do is your purpose is to do whatever it takes to be able to provide the foundation for your family. That, that, that becomes apparent. Your purpose could be, I'm for the, you know, the tens of thousands of people that are currently going without water in Africa. Mm. That's what I'm for. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to be able to make a dent in that. Your four could be like with absolute clarity that it, it is for, for fulfilling some of your own selfish ambition. And that's what you're for is to be able to get to some milestones. And there's certainly been points in my life where what I've really been chasing is a vision I had for myself to be able to prove and test that I am capable of achieving more of what I thought I could like, like, but that was selfish. That was, I was for polishing a part of my ego that, that needed to be tested, but it changes at any given time. Like in this call right now, here's what I'm for. I'm for delivering the best, most honest interview I can for Josh Forty and his audience. That's what I'm for right now. Hmm. What I was for this morning was helping a business owner navigate the decisions as to whether he should or shouldn't let some of his staff go through difficult cash flow crisis times. So what was I for? I was for the long-term success of his business and the short-term mental health challenges that he could be dealing with at this moment in time. And I was for him landing on a decision that whatever happened was he was comfortable when he knew he'd thought through. through. That was my purpose in that given moment. Hmm. It's not like this one guiding light, <laughs> right? We, we are humans. Life is scrappy. My good friend, Michael Port said uh, a great quote that, that, that plays out in my mind quite a lot where people say things like life gets in the way of you, like living your purpose. Life gets in the way of you doing it. And he's like, no, no, life is the way. Yeah. Like the, the mess of it all gets defined. And, and what happens? Like if you think you have your divine purpose and a tornado comes through your town. Yeah. Like your purpose is looking after my people. So what happens always at a given point in time, answer the question, who are you for? Let your purposes show up. I love that. Depending upon what the people around you then need. I love that. Man, Phil, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, I want to move over here in a minute just to rapid fire questions. We do some rapid fire, like more lighthearted yeah. questions at the end. But I, I really do appreciate that. This was a, a fascinating interview. Um, I had only known you from your books. So I had I had no idea that this was uh, much more of your very kind of a laid back, very thought thought through personality. And, and I love it. I'm sure we'll, we'll have to do this again. Um, and I'm sure we'll stay in touch with everything. But where can people find out more about you if they're like, hey, man, I, I really like this Phil guy. He seems to have a good good, good read on life. Where, where can they learn more about you? Yeah. Pitch, promote, whatever you got to do. There you go. Um, website is philmjones.com. You'll see the shop front of stuff that we do and that is available commercially and get a bit more of my backstory and some of my written work there. Um, I show up on social. And, and Instagram is, is probably more me than anything else, depending upon what's happening at that time. And that's at Phil M. Jones UK. Similarly, come find me on LinkedIn. Um, 
and, and, and always happy to be able to continue the conversation with people. It's if you stumble across something today that raised a question in your head, then, then come reach out and see if we can fill in the blanks for you. Guys, go check them out. We will link the Instagram, website, LinkedIn, all that down below um, in the show notes. So go click those links, check them out, follow them over there. And I highly recommend, I haven't read all his books, but I ha absolutely have read um, exactly what to say. I've read it twice, actually. I bought the audiobook. Um, and uh, Emmy, Emmy was the one that put me on to uh, that one as well. He's like, dude, you got to read this book. I was like, dude, are you kidding me? I've read that book twice already. He's like, read it again. I'm like, all right. So, Phil, I appreciate that. And, guys, uh, go check that out. Okay, let's uh, let's move to rapid-fire questions really quick. Basically, these are just a bunch of lighthearted questions. Uh, and then we ask one question that we ask everybody at the end. Uh, all right. Um, what's a bucket list item that you have not yet done in your life that you want to do? Hmm. Um, learn to play the piano. Oh, nice. I love playing the piano. I, my parents uh, had me play the piano growing up. So that's super cool. I'm not musically gifted in any way, shape, or form. I would love to be able to just just – Jam the piano just for fun. I love it. I love it. Uh, favorite airline to fly? <laughs> when you're flying. <laughs> I've flown with everybody. And the true answer to this is I haven't found one that I like. You haven't found one that's like, this is the cream of the crop. No, because none of them beat me sleeping in my own bed or hanging out at home <laughs> or drinking one of my favorite bars. But like, like, is yeah. And even with every airline, I've had good and bad experiences within that one brand yeah. name so i don't want yeah. to call anybody out around right now <laughs> there you go there you go uh do you have a favorite sports car or dream car that you want to own or have owned um i owned a bentley continental gt for a while and and enjoyed it very much and then uh, and let, then let it go um and i enjoyed letting it go more than i enjoyed owning it um and i recently as in like 10 days ago picked up a new version of one of my dream cars and, and cars are kind of my jam and i and i've had a custom land rover defender mm. made just the way that i want it nice so a vintage land rover defender so it's not so much a sports car but it is my sports car right it, now and i'm having fun with that that's awesome that's awesome um in a rapid fire question format what's the key to making money asking asking oh, okay there you go go back moving back to that um Okay, uh, hold on. There was one more. Oh, if you could ever go to outer space, would you go to outer space? You got to come back. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm curious enough to see what that's all about. I'm curious enough. All right, I love it. I love it. Okay, um, last last question. We ask this question to everybody that comes on the show. Um, fast forward to the end of your life. You're on your deathbed. All of your success, fame, all of it's all gone, all your money, whatever. Um, and you're nobody. However, every single person that you've affected or touched either directly or indirectly in your life, you get to leave them with one final message or, or word of wisdom. What is that message? Hmm. It's a big, deep philosophical question. For sure. Um, don't fuck it up. <laughs> What do you mean by that? I feel like that needs a little bit more clarification. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's the point, right? In a way, is the most important thing that I think through in that response is to define what the it is. Hmm. I guess that's a really interesting point. I'm going to have to think about that one for a minute. <laughs> that, that's actually probably one of the most unique answers we've gotten on this and i've asked this to probably 150 people now 200 people something like that so 
Huh, thank you. And I don't typically curse, so I apologize for that. But that's no, that's probably all right. what I would say. Well, we can we, we, we can take out that one word. That's, that's not a big deal. Put, put a little on it, so it'll be good. Um, I, I do have to ask you here before we go. I see in your background here, and you can't see it on audio or, or on video either, but I can see it because I have a little bit brighter thing. You got this picture in the background over your couch here. Is that a, is that a picture of you? It is not, it is but it not. Kind of, so if, if you, if I yeah, kind of you show go. you a little bit more oh, there on the video, go. there's a pair of pictures There you go. and, um, it was a street artist in New York city that my wife and I really admired their work. And these were the original prints that, that, that she created. And then she created the, the rest of the prints off from there. Um, and we liked them so much that we, uh, that we purchased them there and we rolled them up in a tube and we carried them back to England, um, just after we first met and hypothetically, my wife is a is a badass fitness instructor and and does some amazing work and and the irony was it's like me in my suit and her with her amazing body yeah <laughs> it's like it was like we saw it and it, it, it like spoke to us as being us without it that ever being the context right right and they've traveled around with us everywhere and they're in our fun little spot here so they bring me joy that's awesome and art in many ways brings me joy that's awesome. Well, I just noticed, I noticed the color is very similar to the color of your shirt. And I was like, yeah, this is just me, me going with the flow. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's convenience. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Phil, thank you so much for your time. I know it's valuable. I really appreciate this. We'll be blasting this out to a bunch of, a uh, bunch of people to be super awesome. Uh, any final last words or anything? No, just, just thank you for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure. And, and, and I do a lot of interviews in different ways. Thank you for giving me an interview that made me think differently. That was uh, that was a very appropriate, particularly given the name of the show. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's what we try to do. Bring out, bring out an interesting side of people that maybe, maybe most people don't ask those type of questions before. So thank you very much guys. This has been Phil Jones and Josh Forty on think different theory. As always hustle, hustle. God bless. Do not be afraid to think different because those of us that think different are going to be the ones that change the world. I love you all. And I will see you on the next episode. Make sure to check the links down below to check out Phil's stuff. Take it easy, fam. Peace. Yo, what's up, guys? You've been listening to the Think Different Theory with myself, Josh Forty, which I like to call a new paradigm of thinking. And real quick, I got a question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message of positivity and making the world a better place is if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this is out on that you like my stuff and that I'm doing something right. So if you could take like three seconds out of your day and subscribe, leave a rating and a review, I would be forever grateful for you. Also, I want to hear from you. I want to know your feedback, your ideas and your questions for future episodes. So be sure to hit me up on Instagram in the DM at Josh 40 or via email contact at thinkdifferenttheory.com.